0: Spotlights is a Safe Lives series. We gather content, publication and research about groups of domestic abuse survivors who are often hidden from services. We combine data, the voice of survivors and insight from practitioners to find out how we can improve the response to this specific group. This Spotlight is about domestic abuse within the LGBT plus community. My name is Penny East and I'm Head of Communications at Safe Lives. I met with Tara Stone, the founder and director of B a trans community support development and campaigning organisation. We discussed how to ensure services and organisations are inclusive of gender diverse people, the additional barriers faced by gender diverse people who may be experiencing abuse, and we also discussed the need to ensure the visibility of gender diverse people and that they're heard in the debate and the discussion around domestic abuse. Tara includes some tips and some advice for organisations looking to develop their work in this area and make sure they're as inclusive as possible. So, if you could just introduce yourself, please, and a little bit about yourself.
1: Okay, so my name's Tara Stone. Um, I'm here, I guess, today primarily as Victim Support and Development Leader B, um, an organisation which I also founded. Uh, We support trans people um, in a variety of ways. One of the particular ways is around domestic violence and abuse, but we we also do a lot of just general support around gender, people who come in who are questioning. We also do some advocacy work around that. And we do a lot of educational work and development work with organisations from all sectors. Um, I'm very conscious that we're small, and I am a person... (laughs) And for me, I think a a much better approach, kind of long-term, is is Mm -hmm. I would like to see organisations have their inclusive practice be as good as it can potentially be. Mm -hmm. Because, quite simply, we can't have lots of specialist services for every single minority Mm -hmm. We're never going to get that. There's not the resources to do it. We can have some... To cover larger areas who can be informative to mainstream providers, Mm -hmm. but I do think there's very much a case to say actually, what we really need is we just need mainstream provision to be as inclusive of trans people as we possibly can. So that's kind of gone off onto a tangent, but I guess in terms of other stuff that we do, um, we work with trans people themselves, we we work with parents of trans people. as I, as I mentioned, we work with organisations, whether that be private, third, or public. Okay. Um, we ran recently. We ran a, a really good conference. It was called um, Translates Northeast, mm-hmm. um, and that's probably the biggest event of its kind that's been run in the northeast, northwest, kind of like anything north of North Yorkshire, I guess. Okay. Um, and that that had 15 public sector partners who were involved I think it was around 150 attendees, which for for Newcastle, was quite a nice, mm-hmm. quite an achievement. And we're going to run that again this year and some of the themes that we'll explore will probably start to broaden out a little bit because last year was very health and social care. OK. This year, I think we'll begin to bring a bit more of the criminal justice stuff in.
0: And how was the response, those, pub- those public sector partners when they attended the event, how was their response? Do you think they were their thinking was in the right area or was there a lot of development to do? I think I'm pragmatic.
1: Um, okay. With organisations, Everyone's at different points on a journey yeah. in terms of their inclusive practice, and we're not going to get from A to Z in you know, a matter of weeks or a matter of years. You're talking, basically, you know, for me, it's going to an organisation and saying, what is your one-year plan, your three-year plan, and your five-year plan, and let's begin to think about this strategically. Yeah. In terms of how you can implement change. Some things are quick wins that you can probably bring in straight away. Mm-hmm. Some things may take a bit more time.
0: Okay. And if there are kind of organisations listening to this and they want to be more inclusive, are there any kind of things that you would highlight the things that people can get on and do? Okay. So I guess you've, 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 there's different... There's what I would
1: call inclusive practice, which applies for everyone. Okay. Yeah. So it's not sector-specific... And a lot of that is just right. You need to basically have visibility of minorities, in this case, we're talking trans people. So, you need to have visibility within your organisation. Does your literature include them? Do you have policies which are inclusive of them? Do your websites, your promotional materials, do all of those things reference them? And do they reference them in a way which is culturally competent? Which yeah. is which is more important because if you reference them in a way which is incorrect, obviously you're going to do damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's the that, that's a very visible engagement. I think beyond that, you start to come into things like there's something called the I don't know if you're, something called the ladder collaboration. Okay. Yeah, which it's a tool that I talk about a lot. Uh, which is basically about stakeholder engagement, but right. actually moving from what are very tokenistic models of engagement through yeah. to co-production, partnership, actually working with minority people to basically create services that are actually really inclusive of them, but also actually, as well as as well as people engaging with them, those people are actually involved in delivering those services. Okay. And there's, a, there's a, one of the really important things there for me is it's about distribution of power and about distribution of resource. So there's a lot of, one, one of the things I often find is, certainly with the last, I mean, I've been doing this for five years. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the things I often find is, and it's great that organisations are starting to want to begin to do work. But often trans people are just used in a very consultative fashion. Yeah. And then what actually happens is is that nothing actually goes back into their communities and the work doesn't necessarily always hit the mark because they haven't consulted widely. Um, So they've basically usually consulted one or two key individuals. And we just haven't, we've never really had really good research um, into very specific areas. Mm -hmm. So, for example, obviously I'm here today, we're talking about domestic violence and abuse. One of the one of the key things that happens for us a lot of the times is, is that we're we're conflated into this LGBT narrative. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we get lost within that narrative, yeah, and the historically, even when trans people have been included within it, usually the data sets are statistically insignificant, mm-hmm. and part of the problem is, is that there are some trans people that just won't engage. With an LGBT narrative, okay, it's not part. It's not part of their experience, rightly or wrongly. They attach certain cultural things which aren't important to them to that particular acronym. So I think a lot of the work that I do now, I would be disingenuous if I didn't say I don't use the term LGBT myself sometimes yeah. because it's ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Um, but increasingly, what I find is is that I do try to use GRSD. Um, yeah. which is gender, sexual, um, sexual and relationship diversity. Yeah. Um, because it deals more broadly with the actual individual identities of the people rather than actually having those cultural signifiers that kind of yeah. come in. And I just find that, from a, certainly from a practitioner perspective, when I'm working with clients, I just, I just find that a, it's a much more holistic way of working with them. And sure, they, they might have some cultural... They might be connected to a particular culture or community, mm-hmm. etc., but you need to fetch that in as something separate to the actual core identity work that you're actually doing with that person.
0: Okay. And is it this kind of, in terms of those challenges, was it some of that that inspired you to found B? When did you find it? Find so,
1: so B, B's basically been around for about two years. Okay. And prior to that, there was an organisation which I was involved with for the best part of about four, four and a half years in the North East called Tynetrans. Trans. hmm. And I think can be what we want to do is we just want to start and professionalize some of the stuff which we've been doing it for a long time i think historically we've done a lot of work for free because a lot of people in our communities do work for free yeah and we made we very much made a decision of well actually no we can't do this anymore it's not sustainable and actually what actually happens is is you're marginalizing the communities which are seeking to help when you actually take their intellectual property and don't give them anything back for it
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, and would you say, going back to that, the, the, what you just talked about in terms of LGBT, would you say that that was one of the challenges for trans people getting the support?
1: I think, yeah, I do. I think, I think it's something which can get in the way. Um, I think that there's a real need for actual targeted campaigns, work which basically is specifically directed at gender diversity. Right? Mm. And I think gen- talking about it in terms of gender diversity is a, is a better approach. Um, trans is more ubiquitous but what is trans? It's, it's, it's kind of become this label what do we mean when we talk about trans? Do we mean all gender diverse people? Do we mean people who don't identify with their, their gender with their sex assigned at birth? Do we mean socially and medically transitioning gender dysphoric people? What what are we talking about? Now, you know, I can talk to you about the full breadth of diversity and talk about trans in that kind of broad sense, but do do service providers, do organisations actually understand those kind of nuances, or do workers have kind of ideas in their heads so you talk about trans to someone, or they immediately thinking, all right, well, this is someone who's going to go on a journey. Okay. And they're going to socially and medically transition, or they're going to do this, that, and the other. And you basically got all of these kind of assumptions that swirl around for trans people because of the social narratives that have been created for them. And if people don't do work with organisations that are able to do, deliver really good and practice best practice mm-hmm. and actually begin to unpack some of this stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: then then yeah you run you run the risk of basically harming someone because of your your assumptions
0: and i guess it feels a little bit like we're putting labels on people rather yeah. than yeah and like a feel very isolating yeah um and what do you think so just bringing it on to kind of domestic abuse specifically i guess probably a bit of a big old question is what do you think of the domestic abuse sector for want of a better word generally like what do you think they could be doing to improve their gender inclusivity
1: well where I would start is is I think the first thing that I would look at is is your organizations Mm -hmm. so how many trans employees do you actually have how many trans people do we actually see in the sector Are there problems with recruiting trans people into the sector? Are you aware of what the challenges might be for certain trans people in terms of engaging in those environments? Um, Are those environments actually healthy and inclusive in the first place for those employees to want to actually work there so you're attracting the talent in? And once they're actually there, will they actually be safe and treated in exactly the same way that employees who aren't trans actually treated? Yeah? Yeah. So it's... So it's so, so all of that. I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's, we've got half an hour, but there's some very unique things to do yeah. with, to do with that in terms of how you begin to think. How do we posit, how do we basically do some positive action yeah. to basically bring people into this profession? Because my experience as a worker is, is I find that there's not a lot of trained trans workers. You've got a lot of people who are perhaps volunteers on, yeah. the, on the fringes who do work but they're they're not actually skilled. Uh So it's that thing about, can we begin to get people in and actually upskill them? Can we find a way to do that? And because clearly if they're engaged as volunteers, then there's obviously some will and interest at least for them to be doing the work. So I think that's a great place to start looking at um, fetching people in and upskilling the workforce to include some trans people.
0: And I guess kind of investing in them shows how seriously we're taking it. Yeah. You know, this isn't something that should be kind of left to the goodwill of a few individuals. Yeah. It should be actually embedded in our practice. And,
1: and then from there, again, it's about what, what, are, what are organi- what's happening with organisations. So, you know, I think there are some very good organisations who have very good practice out there mm-hmm. who do try to be inclusive, but equally we have organisations that perhaps give survivor services a bad name okay because of their their engagement with trans people so i don't want to talk at length about anti-trans activists yeah um which some people refer to as trans exclusionary radical feminists. yeah i don't um i think anti-trans activist is a much better okay way of phrasing it because yeah. on, a, on a personal note I, I consider myself quite a strong feminist and I don't find them actually inclusionary, which means that to me, they are feminist.
0: Yeah, it's as simple as that.
1: Yeah. And some of these people are certainly some of their ideologies are embedded in some services. It would be disingenuous to say that that doesn't exist. I'm not going to give you the name of a service, for example, who I recently had an engagement with um, via social media who tried to link the expected consultation that we're going to have around the gender recognition act and they try to link that with a sex offender who basically has started to wear women's clothes etc and you know as well as the actual linkage the issue the issue with that particular engagement this is on a this is on an actual organisation's public page mm-hmm. so they allowed this to go on where you've got actually other women coming on who are actually being quite transphobic and they're not challenging that transphobia, they're allowing it to basically go on. And there's something very important about organisations, if you want trans people to actually believe that you're sincere in basically working with them and that you are inclusive, you need to challenge this. Because if you don't challenge this, then you're complicit in it basically being an ongoing problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, talking about social media, we know that a lot of survivors go onto social media to share their experiences and to find mutual support. How can we help make social media safe for trans people because it doesn't feel very safe? I
1: don't think it's very safe. No,
0: it's not. <laughs> um,
1: I think, I think there's, there's work going on um, in the background, I think, basically with Twitter
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and Facebook for that matter, to begin to try and make these places safer uh, but I think that may take time. I think it needs the buy-in of those organisations to begin to police this. It's about their policies. And at the moment, again, one would argue that they themselves are actually complicit in basically allowing this abuse to actually take, take place. And I, I don't think we live... What I would say is I don't think we live in a world where people who are anti, anti-trans activists are in a, in a majority... They're certainly not. Mm -hmm. But they're certainly a very loud Mm -hmm. minority. And they're they're a minority who have quite extensive contacts. They're able to influence mainstream media in a way which is incredibly detrimental to trans people. Um, It would be remiss not to talk about how bad the actual press media has been over the last sort of six months whilst this consultation has... Being kind of hanging in the air to basically happen, and you know that's no mistake. Of course, it's not. Um, it's just basically beginning to try and head things off. And I think what what I would say is that I'm positive that I think we're heading in the right direction, and I think we'll we'll eventually get there. But my worry is is you know how many people do we lose along the way? And you know I don't want to I don't want to start quoting horrendous horrendous statistics around mental health issues around suicidality because they're easy to find if anyone wants to basically look for that information regarding trans people. So we know we know the issues are there. We know for example that the the Lancet um, did a good, good there was a good bit of work in there last year which very much definitively said trans people, all of these all of these issues that they basically suffer from, it's not because it's inherently because they're trans, it's because of social exclusion marginalisation, discrimination, they're not part, they're not embraced, they're not part of society.
0: Do you see the impact, in terms of talking about the media and social media, do you see the impact in your work of this kind of negative reporting? Yeah, it, it,
1: it for some people they're not able, some people aren't able to disengage themselves from it. Yeah um i don't what i would say is i mean i i, I pretty much i rarely use twitter mm-hmm. largely because i can't be bothered with the toxicity of it yeah which is a shame because i know that there's there's also benefits in in engaging via via it. we do run a social media channel but that's uh, karen my counselor runs <laughs> that and it's for me I, I just can't it's just too toxic um and I think for some people, as I say, they can't. They they have they, got to engage with this. They feel they need to fight it. But then I think there's an element of sometimes that just gives it. That just gives the fire more oxygen, and it just allows it to continue to burn. But then you know, what do you do? Because no one else is stepping in necessarily mm-hmm. to call this out. And I think there's something really powerful about allies stepping in to say, yeah. actually, no, this isn't right. Not to the not to the extent where perhaps they where there's a danger where if you do too much of that trans people become bystanders to their own causes and their own fights Yeah. but find ways to do it productively but to bring trans people along with you and to empower them
0: yeah absolutely um, okay um, so to come back to around domestic abuse um, and we've talked a little bit about how the sector can improve its response I guess one thing I wanted to talk about was the voices of survivors themselves yeah. and how do we make it more inclusive because I feel personally that the media is still focused on a very traditional narrative around what a survivor of domestic abuse looks like. So i wonder just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: I think there just needs to be positive action to mm-hmm. actually start to bring in survivors. I think what would be fantastic, I don't know who's going to do that research but I think it would be fantastic if a large organisation basically put a bid in to do some research specifically around trans experiences of DVA. I think it would be even more fantastic if they basically chose peer, peer research uh, as its actual methodology um, because that would be incredibly empowering and um, to basically have survivors basically involved with that. And that, I think, would be a beautiful project. Um and, and informative because uh-huh. as, as I say, I think one of the issues is is even when trans people do engage and, and you, you do see the odd person who does yeah. come forward and that you know they're strong enough or brave enough to basically do that, um, but then what often happens is is they're not they they're used yeah there's, there's an element of they, they they end up basically they they end up being used and it just becomes right so you so other you're there to tell a story but actually what's happening. Because one of the one of the ongoing themes that we see is, is that people talk about stuff, but then we don't actually see the tangible action, and we don't see yeah. the tangible result. And that cuts across the board. You know, I think it happens in DVA, but I think it happens in the in sexual in the sexual violence sector. Yeah. It, happens, it happens just everywhere. And and we've kind of been on people keep on saying we're on the crest of a wave of change, mm-hmm. but it feels like we've been surfing that wave for a long time. And, you know, can we, can we actually, you know, can we actually finish that wave and actually go to find some other ones and start to begin to actually deal with some of the, the smaller waves that actually may, that we can work on, basically, while we looking at this big hole and actually do things which are tangible for trans mm, people.
0: Absolutely. I mean, what do you think... You talk a little bit about how services can, I guess, minimise those additional barriers that trans people face in getting support and being visible...
1: So I think so I think some of the first things that we've already mentioned let trans people know that you're there for them yeah yeah it's about ensuring that they can see you on their website don't be frightened about including language uh, that basically is inclusive of them but I do think that some services worry that they might actually create a bit of a, a bit of a kickback against them by by for example anti trans activists mm-hmm. Um where if they start to talk about things like, for example, non-binary inclusion in, in say, a service, which is for, for women. Um, you know, if you've got someone... I mean, trans women already have a right to access these services anyway, yeah. which I think is really important to kind of see. But, but equally, you can have people who are non-binary, but part of their feminine spectrum. So, for, for example, myself, you know, I identify, I identify, I guess I would say I'm queer, but... Yeah. But I'm certainly femme presenting, I'm certainly, I would say, I'm certainly more over that side of the fence. And I don't have a problem using the word woman occasionally, mm-hmm. but I know, for I know, for example, a service that would have a real problem up in my area with me accessing their, accessing them because I don't say I am a woman.
0: Right, okay. You know,
1: yeah. and, it, and it, it comes across in their advertising, it comes across in their promotion. Yeah. And... That means that for me to access them, I would have to modify my language.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I would have to basically be modifying who I am a little bit rather than the actual service actually being inclusive of me. I'm trying to be inclusive of the service. And I don't think that's ever a good way for us to actually work as a practitioner. I'm really mindful of trying to be as holistically inclusive of people as I possibly can so that basically I'm not creating barriers for them
0: yeah and of course we know that domestic abuse the impact of domestic abuse can be that someone feels their identity is being robbed from them yeah. so then for that to be an extra factor yeah
1: Yeah. and I think there's there's, there's there's some things which are I guess you know really obvious things so I mean people will talk to you about the whole misgender side of things mm-hmm. be careful about language usage etc but I think there's something you know we need to go a bit deeper. So when we run educational work, for example, we you know we'll talk to people about, okay, well what's the psychology of that? So let's begin to look at if you've if you've got someone or do you run the risk of re-traumatising them? Mm. If what happens if basically they were a victim of historical abuse. Yeah. And at the time that they were basically historically abused, they they were this gender and then times moved on and now they've basically done something about that and they're this gender. You know, so you get something wrong it's not just about you got you got something a little bit wrong well actually what you've done is you just re that person yeah, yeah absolutely so you, 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 you're starting to go, it and that's where that's where I think there's a there's a danger sometimes where I, I think anything's better than nothing in terms of development work mm-hmm. and but I think if organisations kind of just rush out yeah and all they want to do is quickly get what I would call trans 101 on the books yeah yeah then there's a danger there, which is, well, actually, really, would you not have been better off finding a provider who could have actually provided you with work which was actually directly relevant to the actual field that you're actually in? Someone who's qualified in your field but also qualified with the trans stuff and they can merge all of that together and actually deliver you a bit of work which is actually really relevant and cover off the bases rather than just trans 101. Because I think it's very easy to do that and there's lots of organisations offering I think that's important and relevant but don't let that be the end point. If you do want to get that as a short term thing before you can find something else then do that because I think there's lots of trans organisations that are capable of delivering that Mm -hmm. as to how many trans organisations I think are capable for example of delivering work which is more complex well it's about do they have people who are professionals who are engaged in those fields that can basically begin to do that type of work
0: and do you think, I mean, there's a long way for us to go as a sector, I think, in terms of domestic abuse. But do you think, I think you said earlier that things were going in the right direction. I guess I wanted to just think about how you think it's progressing. And do you think some of the kind of more toxic and abusive stuff that's going on online is that bringing us backwards? I mean, I think,
1: I actually think the, the toxic stuff is, I think it's allowing for conversations. Okay. Um, so, as painful as it might be, What's actually happening is is people are looking from the sidelines and they're saying, well, wait there, this is horrendous. And actually, I don't think trans people need to do that. Most of them just continue to allow these people to essentially give them enough rope and they're they're, they're hanging themselves. That's Mm. what they're doing. Um, And it's a shame because some of the individuals involved, you kind of look at historical work that they perhaps did in one time and some of that work was great, but now they're in this position where they're going to be on the wrong side of history, yeah. And and I think that all of that social conversation around gendered violence is, be, is is become so much more expansive. Whereas for such a long time it has just been about violence against women and girls, yeah, and all of the and all of the strategies inherent within that,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: nobody's trying to take anything away from the violence against women and girls strategy, um, never, never, because obviously we know that that's a huge issue in society, but that doesn't mean that we can't begin to deal with some of this other that work that needs yeah. to be done and I'm, I'm kind of thinking of a, a good example of that is, is you've got uh, the Survivors Partnership from a sexual violence perspective mm-hmm. and the Male Survivors Partnership, sorry, um, Duncan Craig and the work that's been done with them and Lime Culture mm-hmm. um, around the male standards yeah which have been recently released and those standards, they're great um, they're, quite, they're quite trans-inclusive so from a policy perspective, you've now got something that really, really gives a really good guide to organisations. They obviously implementing those now. But also, more to the point, what it does is it, it gives guidance for commissioners yeah. who can begin to look at things and say, right, they can go to services and say, are you going to be able to provide this? And because we'd like you to provide it, because it's actually better if we have all-inclusive services.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you're not able to provide all-inclusive services... Then perhaps we need to find someone else who can actually do this work that you're not going to do, yeah. rather than people just disappearing through the cracks, which is currently what happens. Which is why we have trans people who have horrendous mental health issues, suicidality, etc. Because yeah. they're not they're not they're not going to support services. They're not accessible support which should be accessible for them.
0: And when you talk about those services, do you mean? Uh, Kind of holistic support services so that mental health and DV can be understood together.
1: I think I think that it's when when trans. I think you can have them. to... Well, they run alongside. Cause, yeah. 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 And but obviously, in context of DBA services, you have you have therapeutic support involved in those services, so mental health is part of that. Mm-hmm. And it, I do think we have. To, I know a lot of trans therapeutic pr- practitioners. They're not in services. Usually, they're independent. Okay. Attached, but so i think that's one area where we do have we do have engagement in this field quite well but i think what we don't have is so much as is we don't actually have grassroots practitioner sort of you know community outreach workers who are DVA trained we don't have transit bars. we you know, yeah. that's that's what we're kind of missing um, we're miss, we're missing the boots on the ground
0: so in terms of i guess the next the wider piece because at safe Lives we talk a lot about training the police and making sure that there's a a public health response so what are hospitals and gps doing what are your views on that kind of the kind of public sector more generally so whether it's teachers the police nurses the kind of people that might be able to spot someone in trouble what what's their approach and what's their progress in terms of being inclusive so i think
1: there's there's
0: some better than others. Okay.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I think, I, again, I think it's a conversation which is evolving. I think you've got, you've got good examples of good practice out there where organisations have basically ran with it mm-hmm. and they've started to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's other places where there's still a long way to go. So, so I'm thinking of a bit of work that we're doing around safeguarding at the moment um, with local authority. And a lot of that's basically about sitting down and basically getting people to actually be able to spot things which, which are problems so it's like, right, okay, that, that parent for example, who is obfuscating their trans child's medical care mm. it's, it's not just because they have a problem with their eyes you know, it's not just a problem with their identity there's, you know, there's a ge- there's genuine what's it, it's abusive, yeah. you need to understand and be able to spot what abuse looks like mm. but obviously some of people's capacity to do that is coloured by their own biases mm. around some of the issues that exist for trans people and these are things which they don't you could have a policy and put a policy in front of someone uh, or give them a piece of A-learning which is, which is so popular mm-hmm. and, and you don't fix the issue because the, you can't challenge someone's value system uh, basically with a piece of A-learning or a piece of policy you need to have someone in the room and more to the point you probably need to have the object of discrimination itself in the room i.e. trans people and then you need to basically find trans people who actually know their, know their field or professionals who are able to engage and deliver the work but also not be traumatised in the process of actually doing it because they're coming up against quite, some quite often awful situations mm,
0: That's true how do we support survivors to, be, as you say, to be able to have those conversations but without it being re-traumatising because... Yeah. They've just gone through maybe abuse in other, another way, and then they're coming into line with police officers or that, and then going through more abuse again. You know, it's how do we protect? How yeah, do we protect them. Yeah, a lot to learn and a lot, of, a lot of progress that needs to happen, definitely. And it's interesting you talk. in our police training course, we talk a lot about real behaviour change because that's key, isn't it? It's not just about a kind of one day training course, and then we can all tick a box and we'll go home.
1: Yeah, it's it's well inclusivity uh, as a broader as a broader piece of work isn't just something you do and then it's done mm. it's something which is basically ongoing
0: um so just to bring us back to b i just wanted to talk about kind of what is what are the next what's next in the b story is it were. Well, what have you got on the horizon
1: what's on the horizon there's some of some of the work we want to do around pair with parents Is is something that we're looking to basically do very much over over the next six months to get set up. Um, I think that's really important. I think there's a lack, a real lack of awareness. So in our 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 region anyway, um, there's in in generally parents tend to be the people where there's nothing there for them, Mm. Um, and but often they're also the people who can cause the most harm to. (laughs) to their to their kids if they're basically getting it wrong so i think actually trying to build something specifically around that's really useful obviously we do have organizations who are national i I, it would be i I should mention mermaids yeah Um, they're they're a great organization but they're they're a national organization Mm -hmm. they're they're not based in every town every city and you can speak to someone on the phone but you can't actually beat grassroots local support where people can kind of sit down and basically do the work and you can't see what's going on through a phone you know so i so i think that's definitely one of the areas that that we kind of want to do a bit more work and one of the problems we have in our region just to kind of complicated so tine and we are is, is is a lovely metropolitan area uh-huh. and you can you you know you can pull people in and reach people there northumberland County Durham, uh-huh. Cumbria, which surround us, not so much. Yeah, um, you know, so those those areas you're talking about rural areas, people are isolated to begin with, and trying to basically get people to travel. You know, there's a, as, a, as a general, as a general rule, as a service provider myself, I, people don't travel more than you know, they'll, they'll go an hour tops. Yeah, but one of the problems you have with Kind of bleeding away a little bit from parents there, but one of the problems that you do have with trans service users is 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 if you're expecting them to come to you all the time, then probably not going to happen because social anxiety is often something which is really common in trans populations. So actually, hoping that people are going to get in touch with you, are or, or you going to get walk-ins? It's it's just it's just really unlikely. And your service needs to be accessible for them. So I guess it's go to the places where trans people are. So go to social media. They're on social media. Whether that be good or harmful for them as we've kinda of discussed that's uh. it. Yeah. But that but they are there's there's spaces where if you basically go to the, to the right spaces, advertise, basically promote, then then you'll reach them via those areas. But don't rely on things like you know, I've, I've heard people talk about go to prides well actually there's a lot of trans people who don't go to prides yeah. Um, because again they're not engaged with it um, because those things aren't inclusive for them so I, w- I would never suggest don't go to prides because there will be some trans people there but don't bank on it as your engagement tool for basically engagement with this community
0: yeah absolutely and we see with domestic abuse survivors that as you say they are isolated and they yeah. might not necessarily feel able to travel and I guess that's an extra layer in terms of when yeah. we're looking at trans survivors. Yeah.
1: And if you know, as I say, for me it's if you've got someone say in the wild in Woolies and wool from Northumberland yeah. to get to do a lot of trans people are good travellers to begin with, but then if you've got say like an hour and a half to two hour bus journey to try and get, mm. say, from the top of Northumberland to a, a large metropolitan place. So it's I think we need we need to start looking at things we need to kind of Models of of service access which are quite decentralised. Um, we certainly need a lot more outreach um, for trans people. I think that's really important. And when we've engaged with local authorities, kind of around this, one of the things I find is is that because organisations they're, they're coming at from a really low level of knowledge in the first place. So I mean, you're talking about people where. They they still don't really get what this trans thing is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very hard to begin to talk about something which is, say, like seven steps down the line Mm. when people don't even, they they haven't even just got the basic vocabulary to basically talk about something. Um, Which is what I've said earlier. It's it's that whole, you know, A to Z and where are people on that particular journey. And sometimes you've got to turn around to someone and say, well, actually, we we can't do this work with you. It's not the right thing to do yet because we need to do this
0: yeah absolutely okay it's interesting what you say in terms of parents as well so we talk a lot about the whole family approach here yeah. and I guess that kind of speaks to that the fact that someone's risk and vulnerability is affected by the way their family members are responding as yeah. well as maybe the direct perpetrator and that may be the parents it almost may be an intimate partner but it's what it's, the whole family response to that person yeah we talked about the kind of need for local provision and the need for provision to be inclusive. Obviously, I work for a national uh, domestic abuse charity, and I I think we touched on this a bit more. But I just would be really interested to hear what you could think. Safe lives, but also other domestic abuse major charities could be doing um, on a national level to challenge some of the. Concerned.
1: I kind of touched on it. Yeah. I, I think I think there's 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 need for some sort of national campaigning around this. Yeah. Um. To basically, and, and then it's about how that's done. So you've got big players like yourself. Obviously, you've got some national organisations from an LGBT sector perspective. Yeah. We have Stonewall. That's one of the hats I wear. Is I sit on Stonewall's Trans Advisory yeah. Group. Um. So I think there's there's potential there's potential reach there.
0: Uh mm-hmm.
1: And. I, obviously Stonewall they're, they're primarily a campaigning organisation they're not they're not service deliverers yeah but I still think there's a place for them to basically be able to get those messages out I think it's really important to include survivors
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think it's really important to include trans workers who exist even though they're quite on the ground um in in that campaign and and I think there's there's a lot of education work that needs done doing. And I think one of the things and I, I say this often which is I mean, we obviously do we, we do we do educational work so hello, anyone want to touch for us by all means. But but I'm not precious about the work that I I deliver, uh, what I'm actually bothered about is I'm very process driven and very very cause driven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, perhaps there's something to be said about large national players if they're able to start doing work about creating training partnerships where we begin to centralise the expertise around this, yes. and then you basically farm out training partnerships to organise other organisations who deliver work for you, but it has to be done to the standard that's actually been agreed centrally that's kind of the model I'd, I'd like to see for that type of that type of work
0: fab well, I think that's a call to action for everyone listening let's do it um, fantastic is there anything else that you wanted to highlight at all that you think is important to get across
1: I think we've, we've, we've talked a lot I think it's just important that that trans people are part of this conversation yeah and it really feels like we haven't been for a long time. And that needs that needs to change. And when I say trans, I'm gonna say gender diverse and just say gender diverse people need to be part of this conversation because it it all too often, even when we see things going on, we see that it's socially and medically transitioning Gender dysphoric trans people who are basically part of this. So I want to I want to see non-binary people basically included in the conversation. People who don't have gender dysphoria but are gender diverse. Mm. Let's see some of those people. You know, people who perhaps you know they they still suffer social exclusion, etc., because their their gender expression is different, even if their gender identity itself is still cisgender. They're still part of this conversation because. It doesn't matter what your identity is when you walk down the street if someone thinks you look different because people can't mind-lead you. Mm. They're, just, they're judging you based on how you look. Yeah. You know, so can we start to basically just bring everyone into this conversation and talk about gender diversity in a much broader way? And I know some people in my own community might think, oh, are you shooting yourself in the foot? But but no, I think we do. This is a broad conversation because gender isn't just about isn't just about me as as a socially and medically transitioned trans person. Mm. It's it's about you. You have a gender. Everyone out there on the street has a gender. And we need to start talking about why why do we have gender-based violence? Mm. Because it's all genders that are impacted by gender-based violence in terms of victims and also in terms of perpetrators. Thank you. Thank you
0: very much, Tara.